Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today I'm going to talk about what we refer to as the quarry camps. Um, the two camps, uh, Flossenburg and Mauthausen, um, that were, uh, unlike the other uh, concentration camps of, their, um, of the late 1930s, in that they were... Uh, structurally uh, different and in terms of the economic activities they were meant to uh, pursue. They also were uh, fundamentally uh, unlike camps such as uh, Dachau or Sachsenhausen. The third camp I'm going to talk about today is uh, Orionenburg um, and the thing that unites all these three camps was um, Hitler's architectural vision for Germany during the late 1930s and uh, in during the early war years. And the reason why these camps existed was really uh, as a result of that kind of architectural and aesthetic and cultural vision, um, that Hitler viewed himself as the, uh, the great rebuilder or the great builder of German cities, and he had uh, vast plans, not just for Berlin, but for up to 20 cities in Germany, places such as Munich and Nuremberg, to uh, be raised to the ground almost and uh, rebuilt in stone um, and with phenomenal, phenomenal uh, quantities of bricks. Um, and that's why uh, Flossenburg and Orionenburg, well, Flossenburg and Mauthausen were known as the quarry camps. They were there uh, to use slave labour to quarry stone. Um, and Orionenburg was a brick-making camp, or became a brick-making camp, um, despite uh, massive SS incompetence, uh, as as we shall find out in the, the failure to, to make any bricks successfully at all before the war. So today, again, we're looking at Nicholas Vashman's excellent book, uh, KL, uh, History of the, the Nazi Camps, and um, he writes... Sometime during the second half of uh, March 1938, Oswald Pohl, Pohl was the um, economic um, overseer of the camp network, 
and Theodore Ike, former uh, commandant of Dachau and later commandant of the entire camp system, uh, set off on a business trip across the south of the German Reich, accompanied by an entourage of SS experts. They were scouting locations for KL suitable for planned economic ventures. Around March the 24th, the group travelled through the impoverished and inhospitable landscape of eastern Bavaria, near the Czechoslovakian border, with its dense forests and barren soil. What had brought them to this remote corner of Germany, sometimes jokingly referred to as the Bavarian Siberia, were the quarries around the villages of Flissenberg, which had been operated there since the 19th century. Thanks to the building mania in the Third Reich, production had recently increased, and Pohl and Eich agreed that there was an opportunity for the SS to join in. Later, the SS search party crossed what had until recently been the Austrian border, heading towards Linz, and to expect the nearby granite quarries around Mauthausen. Here, too, Pohl and Eich found what they wanted and lost no time. Within days of their visits, the establishment of two new camps were underway. So, the first camp to open was Flussenberg, um, and it started to receive its first uh, prisoners in May 1938. And the camp began to grow gradually over the next few months, uh, throughout 1938 and into 1939. Um, the SS leadership looked upon the development of Flussenberg very favourably, this was a very important project, uh, and Himmler visited himself um, on the 16th of May. And Pohl and Eich visited uh, slightly later and even spent some holiday time there, sending back uh, holiday pictures to Himmler. Um, in Mauthausen, the first prisoners came in August 1938, and the initial uh, group of guards there forced the uh, prisoners to make quarters in um, the quarry itself, um, and later they moved them to a permanent compound that sat uh, on a hill above the quarry. It was the labour at Flossenburg and Mauthausen that marked both camps out as being uh, some of the most feared destinations for prisoners. Um, the uh, prisoners very quickly learned what life uh, in the quarries uh, did to their um, uh, fellow inmates across the camp system and were terrified about being uh, being sent. Um, the architecture of both camps was fundamentally different to that of uh, Dachau, Sachsenhausen or Buchenwald. Uh, the camps had uh, large granite watchtowers, um, the towers at Mauthausen joining up with huge granite walls that enclosed much of the compound. Obviously, stone is a cheap commodity at the camp, doesn't have to be moved particularly far, and as ever, the inmates are responsible for building their own systems of imprisonment. Uh, Flossenberg and Mauthausen were smaller initially uh, than other camps uh, for men, um, in terms of prisoner numbers at the very least, but by the end of 1938, Flossenberg held 1,475 inmates, Mauthausen 994. This is pretty small stuff. Um, Sachsenhausen, Buchenwald and Dachau all held uh, above 8,000 inmates. But the uh, ambitious plans that the SS had 
to enlarge the two camps initially showed little effect, but it was the, would be the Second World War that would see mass influxes of prisoners into the two camps to see them uh, rival other aspects of the camp system. The makeup of um, Flossenburg and Mauthausen, the makeup of the prisoner population, is quite different as well. In 1938, the Camp SS launched the biggest and most ambitious attempt to gather um, the same prisoners in the same locations, um, reserving the two camps mainly for social outsiders and uh, alleged uh, professional criminals. So mainly political prisoners weren't there initially. Mass transports of prisoners who were uh, selected from the, the other big three camps uh, began to um, flow towards Mauthausen and Flossenburg um, when the camps opened. So initially the Mauthausen and Flossenburg um, select criminal prisoners from those two camps uh, as opposed to becoming dumping grounds for those who were uh, new to the camp system, uh, new prisoners. This meant that before the war, nearly all prisoners at Mauthausen wore the Green Triangle, um, and this was a group, they were closely matched by the number of asocials, those were who considered work-shy or lazy or unable to function within uh, the Third Reich, people with um, uh, addictions or social dysfunction. And uh, a great many gypsies and uh, Sinti and Roma were incorporated uh, among this number. Um, the very fact that people live transient lifestyles, um, they move around, was considered to be a social itself. A um, hundred um, alleged criminals uh, died in Flossenburg and Mauthausen even before the war broke out. Um, and this was more than the other three camps uh, put together. Why professional criminals then? Why uh, were criminals uh, sent to the, th the two quarry camps? Forced labour in those quarries was regarded as particularly uh, punishing and many Nazi officials believed that the worst prisoners deserved the hardest labour, that there was some kind of trade-off there. Um, when senior Nazi SS um, figures uh, suggested in the late 30s that concentration camp prisoners should be sent to lethal radium mines, granite is, uh, has, has radium isotopes within it in the form of radium gas, uh, Himmler's response was uh, enthusiastic, saying that um, the most serious criminals should be made available for this work. However, um, although the pre this plan never came to anything, the SS later adopted the principle uh, of sending the uh, unredeemable criminal, the recidivist and the asocial inmates, to the chaos with the worst working conditions. Because ultimately there was nothing that uh, the Reich could gain from these people, it was seen by the SS, that there was they had no purpose other than to be a nuisance um, when they were uh, set free. And so the idea really was that they weren't to be set free, um, and that they would meet, end their days in, in the camp system. In a speech in 1937, he described um, asocial and criminal prisoners 
as dangerous and violent born, um, who'd spent much of their lives behind bars and it was all they really knew. Um, Himmler um, referred to them as murderers and robbers and sex offenders. Um, and he, um, he said, it would be an insult to animals to call such a person, he referred to a 72-year-old man who committed 63 indecent assaults, it would be an insult to animals to call such a person an animal, because animals don't behave that way. Um, the quarry camps um, in the spring of 1938 were filled with uh, the prisoners who seemed to be most deserving of suffering. Um, however, most of the prisoners who turned up in the camps had were, bore very little kind of resemblance to the sorts of folk devils that Himmler was uh, kind of uh, summoning, summoning in, in, in this sort of speech. Um, they were mainly small-time uh, thieves and burglars, often from social backgrounds, um, and often they were people who had been arrested for begging. So they were fairly small-time prisoners who were sent to um, a, a, a torment almost beyond the ability of many of us to imagine. Um, the first months in the uh, quarry camps um, were especially hard. Um, Nicholas Washman writes, As in other new camps, prisoners had to build the infrastructure, exhausting and perilous work, aggravated by the primitive living conditions in the makeshift compounds. Meanwhile, hundreds of other inmates were already toiling in the quarries. Work began early in Flissenburg, where three quarries were operational at the end of 1938. In Mauthausen, too, labour in three different quarries began in 1938. Soon the largest such complex... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Controlled by the SS. Prisoners had to carry out the most arduous jobs, preparing the ground with pickaxes and drills and hauling huge granite blocks. Adolf Gussack, an Austrian gypsy who came to Mauthausen on March 21st, 1939, on a large prisoner transport from Dachau, 
recalled later uh, the first days in the Weiner Graben, uh, one of the uh, quarries. In the quarry we had to carry heavy stones. With them on our backs we had to climb the 180 steps towards the compound. The SS beat us. As a result, there, are, um, there often was somebody pushing. Everybody wanted to escape the blows. If anyone fell down, he was finished off by a bullet to the back of the neck. Now, the third camp I want to talk about today is Oranienburg. Um, Oranienburg uh, and the brickworks that were created there uh, tell a fascinating tale uh, about um, incompetence and the um, idea of um, brutal and yet ruthlessly efficient um, Nazi methods of economic organisation are really kind of thrown into um, the, the, sort of the myths that they are by this particular story. Um, there is, in 1938, in the summer of 1938, um, on the banks of a canal um, about a mile from Sachsenhausen, the SS began to build uh, what would have been the world's largest brick factory with a annual output, a planned annual output of 150 million bricks, around 10 times more than large factories normally produced. The project, which was probably initiated by Albert Speer, um, was heavily promoted by the SS as a showcase for its economic prowess. Himmler is always trying to find ways of expanding the SS empire into uh, other areas of economic or military life, um, and he is trying to constantly find ways of um, kind of replacing aspects of German life altogether with the functioning of the SS. So he wanted to really to kind of make inroads into manufacturing and heavy industry. Um, determined to prove its ability, this is Voschmann writing, determined to prove its ability to harness modern technology for the Nazi regime, the SS opted for the most costly and cutting-edge equipment, so-called dry-press machines, which promised speed and efficiency. SS managers staked their reputation on successful outcomes. Um, Heinrich Himmler apparently attended the ceremonial laying of the foundation stone on July the 6th, 1938, and remained keenly interested in the progress at the building site. So, of course, the entire site would have rested on forced labour, um, the SS uh, used civilian contractors, some civilian contractors for the brickworks, but the bulk of the labour force came from Sachsenhausen. In pre-war years, a daily average of 1,500 to 2,000 prisoners were used, uh, and having access to this amount of free labour obviously makes the SS a serious economic player. When the SS, when the prisoners had managed to clear the trees on the site, um, uh, which was the largest, uh, and the prisoners were the largest labour detail on, uh, on any uh, site uh, at all. Um, they began building, uh, they excavated a dock, um, they moved uh, the ground and levelled it um, and constructed uh, the main factory, and um, another labour squad worked on a railway line for transporting clay from a few miles away to the plant. Uh, the contrast between the plant's high-tech design and the primitive conditions 
on a construction site could hardly have been greater. The most strenuous labour was uh, performed by prisoners with very basic tools, or in some cases no tools at all, having to work, dig with their hands. Um, large inmates carry, um, carried piles of sand in their uniforms, um, which were worn back to front so the backs of the jackets formed a kind of an apron. The um, prisoners moved uh, large amounts of earth in uh, rickety wooden stretches or shifted sacks of cement on their shoulders. Prisoners climbed scaffolds and poured down cement, barely clinging to wooden clogs. So as a result of all this manual labour, there was a huge numbers of deaths on the site. Um, severed limbs, crushed bones and the like. Um, SS terror was abundant um, as factories were scarce. The latrine, for example, was no more um, than a beam across a ditch, writes Fushman. Um, and SS guards liked to push exhausted inmates into the pools of excrement below. Inmates feared the brickworks as, as a particularly destructive labour detail. Uh, so some mornings they faced a long march to um, the building site and they would have been beaten along the way. Um, and they would have staggered back to the compound in the evening carrying the sick, the wounded and the dead. Uh, if you ever go to Auschwitz in the Auschwitz I um, uh, prison barracks, there are pictures, uh, depictions by Polish prisoners of what it looked like to be returning to camp at the end of the day, carrying uh, uh, those who had died on the job that day. Um, the uh, SS managers had uh, agreed very, very tight, impossibly tight schedules for the creation of their flagship plant, and then we came under stress when it turned out that the, it couldn't be fulfilled. So they used immense amounts of violence in order to force the prisoners to work faster. Countless prisoners, uh, writes Foshman, perished on the desolate Oranienberg's uh, building site, uh, succumbing to exhaustion, accidents and abuse. There were some suicides too. And the worst period came in the winter of 1938-39 when a renewed SS push to complete the project coincided with a cold snap in the Berlin region. Prisoners work, they worked in thin uniforms without gloves as temperatures fell below freezing for almost three months. Often the soup they ate for lunch would turn to ice. Uh, between December 1938 and March 1939, at least 429 Sachsenhausen prisoners died at the brickworks and elsewhere in the camp, more than any other KL during the period. The great majority of the dead were called were so-called asocials, who made up the largest prisoner group at Oranienburg uh, building site, and who faced special harassment by the SS and the camp capos. However, the entire project was an enormous failure. Um, the brickworks um, were one of the kind of the, the Nazi sort of equivalents of huge uh, Soviet and later Maoist um, pointless exercises uh, in uh, state project building. Uh, in May 1939, uh, during the first trial run, um, the plant already a month behind schedule. The SS watched in disbelief uh, as the bricks that left the kilns crumbled and fell apart. Because they had no understanding of the industrial processes required to make bricks, um, they had made a number of fundamental errors. So they had never bothered to check whether the local clay was suitable for the dry, for dry press production, and it was not. So this meant that the new factory 
which had cost so many lives, never produced a single brick. Um, the disaster at Oranienburg showed that uh, SS incompetence um, was rife when it came to essentially anything other than violent and brutal repression. So when the uh, the SS have tried its hand to um, industrial processes, it was essentially uh, in incapable of doing so. Why? Perhaps because the entire process was based on, on what this, this is notions of working towards the Fuhrer, of trying to uh, use willpower and um, forced labour uh, to create um, impossible projects, uh, ignoring the fundamental scientific and engineering realities behind them. The uh, reaction of Oswald Pohl uh, was, was very telling. He did not scale back uh, SS ambitions, but pressed ahead with brick production at Oranienburg, no matter what. Um, he uh, was uh, fully imbued with this sort of uh, Nazi idea of, of the, the triumph of the will, uh, the idea that uh, willpower can overcome anything. Well, of course, willpower and slave labour can overcome anything if you don't really worry about how many slaves you kill. Um, so in uh, a desperate bid to save himself in the summer of 1939, Oswald Pohl um, quickly, um, in an attempt to keep Himmler in the dark about the scale of, of the disaster, um, began to uh, search for uh, scapegoats. Um, he dismissed the private building contractor uh, and the SS chief executive and um, handed control of the plant to administrators, uh, Nazi uh, bureaucrats who had some better understanding industrially of uh, how these sorts of projects actually work. Um, the result was that the prisoners were forced to tear down everything that they'd just built, demolish the kilns and rip out machines and, con and um, destroy the concrete foundations and go through a huge rebuilding process um, to use uh, to create a new, more reliable wet press system of, of brick making. Of course, it's cost more lives. And in 1940, um, after the uh, production process was started again, the plant produced, um, in its total lifespan, about 3 million bricks. If you imagine that a, a standard factory produces something like, about like 15 million in one year, um, it was a kind of a, a, a dismal conclusion to uh, a bloody and violent episode in the camp system. Anyway, I'm going to finish there. Uh, thanks very much to uh, for listening. Um, if you can uh, visit our Patreon page, I'll post the link below this podcast. Uh, we do rely on um, a tiny little trickle of advertising revenue, but the, the kindness and the largesse of our patrons. So if you can help out, that's greatly appreciated. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. All the best. Bye-bye. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.